podcast where we discuss theology from a reformed perspective and genuinely nerdy things where there's no content that you won't love. I'm Luke Denner. And I'm Mark Fromey. Today, we have a special guest showing up with us to discuss apologetics, and so he is actually a Mormon missionary in his second year of mission with the University of Salt Lake, Utah, and Brigham Young. He's actually at both universities right now working on two majors, one in pastoral ministry and the other one in apologetics. And so it's going to give us a different flavor as to where he's coming from, and that man is Avery Wood. So Avery, if you want to go ahead and just tell us a little bit about yourself here before we get going. And make corrections to anything Luke might have gotten (laughs) wrong. Of course, yeah, yeah. So, uh, my name is Avery Wood. I'm not a Mormon. I'm a, uh, been a Christian since, uh, 2010. I'm from Oklahoma Baptist University. Uh, I study apologetics as my major and I minor in pastoral ministry. So. I was close enough. <laughs> Oh, so yeah. that's Avery. We decided so close. to bring him on. Mark, shut up. I'm talking. <laughs> we decided to bring him on because Mark has had a class in apologetics. I've, I've dabbled in apologetics. I actually used to really dis, dislike it up until a few years ago. And so we figured somebody maybe a little more qualified, a little more well-versed would be good to have on for this episode. So you guys are in for a treat. Let's go ahead and hop into how our weeks went really wet. Bef- <laughs> really wet? Were they wet weeks? It rained a lot. How our weeks went before we dive into the topic at hand. So, Avery, you're the guest. We'll let you go first. How, how's your week been, man? It's been great. Um, I actually just got back from Austin with my wife and mother-in-law. Um, we celebrated my nephew's first birthday. Um, we all kind of got together, and it was actually really good um, the night before the birthday party, so Friday night. Um, I actually have... It's funny that you said Mormons. Um, my sister and brother-in-law were actually, uh, they're still Mormons, technically. Uh, they're about to leave the church. Um, but I actually got to talk with them for about three hours and just converse about the church, about what they believe. Um, and I got to share the gospel with them That's awesome. for about two straight hours. And so... Um, out of everything, while I did enjoy being with everybody, that gave me the most joy and uh, really brightened my week up. So that's awesome. That's really cool, man. So, Mark, how about you? Uh, man, my week was it was a long week. Uh, just ended up working a lot, and um, last time I know I talked about how Lindsay was kind of taking it easy, being on kind of a self-appointed um, bed rest, but we we were able to go to the doctor on Wednesday and essentially be told that she needs to be not fully on bed rest. She can do some things, but she's got to take it very, very easy and do very, very little. Um, and so it's been kind of rough on her and, uh, made for kind of a long week and week and weekend, but, um, it was, it was good. We, um, just spent a lot of time together and watching TV shows. That's, that's an easy way to just, you know, cuddle up on the couch and, watch a show together or something that's um helpful oh how cute um for with her not being able to do anything she's um enjoying those moments so uh we're we're just kind of why don't you ever cuddle with me on the couch anymore because you live in missouri so if i move to michigan you'll (laughs) cuddle with me on the couch agree to that or disagree to that (laughs) so you agree to it cool (laughs) sure yeah Yeah, that's awesome i'm Glad you guys had that time to, to spend yeah, we're, together. We're enjoying these uh, uh, these last weeks leading up to the point where we're going to have a baby and um, change everything. So and everything will change, but it'll be I, a good. I change. put together a crib and, and a glider if, this week, so that was about the most that's awesome handy I've ever. Oh, were all exciting. the parts there? Yeah, all the parts actually came with these things. That's good. If you guys don't know what we're referencing, Mark could order. Is that a baby organizer? Yeah, it's like a little. Um, organizer shelf thing for the baby's room and it came with cardboard and no parts yeah it had so. it had the screws and it had the pieces of cardboard were essentially like the shelf supports because it was like a canvas um bag that hung on a frame and so the pieces of cardboard fit in the bottom of each little compartment to give it a little more structure and those were in the box but that was all that was in the box so <laughs> 
but Target sorted you guys out and yeah, got you working. It, it got taken care of quickly, but it was it was just really funny that we got it shipped to our house, and that's what it was. If you guys stalked Mark on Twitter like I do, you would know that. So, <laughs> anyway, that's awesome, man. Yeah, if you're listening, uh, keep them in your prayers for sure as they're getting closer to this due date. And then, especially after the due date for their sanity as the baby's born. And your wife is pregnant too, Avery. Yes, she is. Uh, it's been, I believe she just about 20 weeks. So, nice. about at the halfway mark, but still got a ways so to go. So we could call so. this episode nice. the prenatal dad show. The prenatal <laughs> dad show. I like it. I like it. Because, yeah, I'm, we're getting close on, I don't even know yet. Like, we haven't had it confirmed. But we're getting close to where we'll be going in for our... Our first sonogram and all that good Ultrasound. jazz. So, yeah, that's what I meant. What I said sonogram, yep. didn't I? Yeah, first ultrasound. <laughs> oh, Same thing. To think I wanted to be a doctor <laughs> when I was a kid. Apparently, I wanted to be a pastor. Oh. <laughs> yes. Oh, man. Best thing. Highlight. So, we'll get into my week now, but maybe one of the highlights of my week was seeing a letter that Mark had written when he was nine. And he said, when I grow up, I want to be a pastor, and I will name my church Mark's Baptist, B-A-B-T-I-S-T, Church. Mark's Baptist Church, baby. <laughs> it's, and so I, I texted him. I was like, hey, can I be part of Mark's Baptist Church? He also said he's going to have a Mustang. So, you know, maybe one of them uh, health and wealth style churches if he's planning on buying <laughs> that. So he may want to stay clear of it. I don't know how else you're getting a Mustang in ministry. Yeah, <laughs> but, that's fair. <laughs> but, yeah, no, it's, it was a pretty pretty typical week had had um work and then church and actually had a, a fun time Wednesday night so once a month our youth joined prayer meeting and this Wednesday night was supposed to be the night that happened and I did not fulfill out my duties as I should have in hindsight so I communicated with the person doing prayer I'd communicate with a couple of the adults and youth that are usually up there but apparently not everyone I should have. So I started heading up the stairs to see if they were like to tell the kids, hey, we're in youth tonight, because I don't give them forewarning or they just skip. And so I started heading up to tell them, hey, we're going to, to prayer tonight. And as I was heading up the stairs, I saw a couple coming down. I'm like, hey, did someone tell you guys we're going to prayer? And they're like, yeah, everyone's coming down. It's like, cool. So I head down to the CAC because I had some stuff I was going to take care of during that time because I'm on a worship team. And... About five minutes later, our pastor shows up on the balcony and waves at me. So I come over and he goes, hey, are the kids in prayer tonight or are you having youth? And I was like, they're in prayer. That's why I'm down here. And he goes, "He goes, well, they don't know that. And you got like 30 kids up in the youth room. And I was like, okay. And so thankfully I already had the lesson prepared but didn't have much else to go alongside it. And so it was, a, it was fun. But it, it went well and it worked out well. So, but it was, it was, it was a good... Uh, catching me off my guard and put me in maybe a less than comfortable situation that worked out really well though and made me more reliant on okay god i'm gonna have to be trusting on you because i had not put the preparation in that i normally would have just because i wasn't planning on teaching that night so kind of worked off a skeleton outline but it worked out and then did you scold the kids mentioned that said last they week. were all going down there oh no because they just misunderstood it's okay <laughs> um and then i said last week how i was tired of working on cars and then took an hour to change my oil today because my the stupidest <laughs> oil filter in the world and it took me forever to get it off so i ordered as soon as i finished i went and i ordered the tool i need to just take it off so i won't have to do it by hand next time because it, it was just ridiculous so got that done today taking the car in for inspection tomorrow hoping it passed with all the rigging that i did with the bumper and stuff we'll see how that goes i mean inspection but, yeah, is that's been my week emissions. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't even have to do emissions because the county I'm in doesn't require it. So, which is nice because that's one less thing to pay for. And what is inspection? Make sure you don't have a smuggler's hole or something? No, it's like they check, I'm pretty sure they check your brakes and your tires and just the basic functionality of the car to make sure everything's in good working order. So, at least that's my understanding. I could be completely (laughs) wrong on that. I just know you have to take it in every two years and have it done so you can get the new tag so you don't get pulled over and get a ticket. So... But beyond that, I don't. I don't really know what it actually occurs there. Beyond, I, I do know what emissions is, but again, that's one that doesn't have to happen because I'm in Redneckville, so they don't care. We can pollute the air, and it's okay. Actually, I'm pretty sure there's just only like two drivers out here anyway, so it doesn't matter. But anyway, so all right, I've rambled quite enough, I think. Let's go ahead and, and jump into apologetics here. And so, uh, apologetics is. It, just a basic summary um, 
I would call it a defense of the faith. It is taking different arguments and using them to defend the Christian faith. And apologetics exists without, not without, outside of Christendom. Like, it's not strictly a Christian practice, but most of us are familiar with it with it within Christianity. And so with that, I'll turn it over to you, Mark and Avery, and let you guys talk a little bit about just the different forms of apologetics. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm cool with Avery. Do you want to give like a summary of kind of, um, I don't know, the, the big two that always come to mind usually are presuppositional and evidential, right? You could throw classical apologetics in yeah, there too. So nice. you want to kind of the big three. Um, a basic yeah. overview or summary of each of them. Yeah, actually, I'm unfamiliar with classical, just because I don't really know anybody. Um, R.C. Sproul was about the only person I knew that really kind of went with it, so I'm more familiar with the other two. Um, if you want to pick that up for me, um, the basic overviews. Um, so, like Luke was saying, a general summary of apologetics is uh, defending the faith. Uh, a Apologetics derives from the Greek word uh, apologia or apologia. There's like a different, a hundred ways you could say it, but uh, basically it means to to give a defense. And so um, there are many ways. Uh, there's basically the big three. So you have presuppositional apologetics. Um, mainly to give a big overview, it kind of goes uh, deals with people's presuppositions, and that's um, the preconceived uh, ideas, thoughts, worldviews that people use when they uh, examine the world and evidence uh, and things like that. Uh, Precept, from my understanding, mainly deals, a lot of it deals with epistemology, and that's basically the, the study of how we know things. Um, and I'll probably go more into depth later on that. And then you have evidential apologetics. Uh, which is uh, we use evidence to convince or to dismantle um, unbelievers' worldviews or other faiths, um, and we use it strictly by evidence. And that could be the cosmological argument, um, the ontological argument, uh, you know, many other ways that you can use. And um, so, yeah, that's basically the general overviews of those two. Mark, do you have much to say on classical? I mean, classical, um, for the most part, tends to... Uh, classical is the only biblical okay, method. No. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> I think you guys were both there and saw that when it was said. Yeah, I know. It was, um, it was sad. No, classical tends to be almost a hybrid of the two. Like, it kind of combines them um, in a sense. It leans... It very much um, is similar to evidential apologetics. I actually know of um, some people who consider William Lane Craig to be a classical apologist. Um, See, I would consider him more and evidential. And I think he's very evidential. And so... Um, of course, I'm there's, not an expert. There's very much a overlap, I think, between the two. But but there's an I think classical apologetics really um, what sets it apart from um, from evidential apologetics is it it makes it a very intentional stride um, to put it in a very biblical context, and where when I what I see a lot, and and we're kind of kind of get into the breakdown of, of the three of them and just apologetics in general. Um, Avery, I don't know if you agree or disagree with me on this, but what, what I tend to see with evidentialists is they're willing to focus on um, the bare minimum of what it takes to get somebody to believe in God or believe that. Um, some kind of deity is at least likely. Yeah, they, uh, uh, especially with the professors at OBU, and I think William Lane Craig may kind of go over this route, but I would call it the two-step apologetic. Basically, the first one is you try to convince, make the unbeliever acknowledge that some kind of deity exists. And then the second is more moving into the Christian realm with pretty much more evidence um, and you try to deduce, deduce the Christian faith um, maybe deduct, I don't know how you would say that but um, the Christian worldview uh, to truth basically and try to convince the unbeliever that it's you know, legit yeah, and so I, I feel like kind of 
so classical apologet- apologetics um, is, is very similar. If not, it, it might almost be the same thing. Like as they're described, I'm wondering how. I'm more interested now in doing some research and figuring out what the differences between classical and evidential are because they sound pretty much the same. So, Luke, Mister, I'm not going to be a part of this conversation that much. Why don't you go do some research? <laughs> I'm I'm checking it out. I wasn't saying part of the conversation. I was yeah, let no. you guys give the I, I know it, I overview. Know I will throw out too here just a couple of of sources you can look at. And so, if you want some examples of precep, Cornelius Van Til, Greg Bonson is Bonson's, Bonson's good. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay, that's what Bonson's I thought. And Titan. John Frame are all three presuppositional apologists. In the evidential, you have guys like Frank Ham, or not Frank Ham, Frank Turek, Ken Ham, William Lane Craig, who we already mentioned. Geisler. Norman getting Geisler into the, was... The Norman Geisler, yeah. Getting into classical, you have R.C. Sproul. Uh, I think John Gerstner is. And I don't know any others off the top of my head. That seems a common theme here that we're the least <laughs> familiar with classical R.C. Sproul was, was by far and away the the big proponent proponent of it um and common yeah like in the modern time um he's the one who argued for it. and there's actually a debate between bonson and um sproul specifically mm-hmm. on presuppositional apologetics versus um classical apologetics it may, it's a very interesting discussion um i definitely it was a very kind of conversational debate that they had and so um it, it wasn't super formal, but it was very informative on both sides of it. Uh, some of, like, two two guys that I think of besides Van Til when it comes to presup is um, Jeff Durbin and James White are both presuppositional. Poly- and mm-hmm. you, you can throw Saiten Brugenkate in there as well. Um, he's really well known, yeah. although I don't always agree with the way that he approaches it. Um, yeah. I, I think, yeah. Um, just a quick comment. I think Cy gets a bad rep, um, but I ha- I do notice that he is quite more blunt yeah, he's very or harsh, I think. Yeah, he's very, yeah, I think that's a better word for it. And I think he gets a bad rep for it, but I can understand the frustration um, when you're talking with people every single day about it. Sure. Almost. And, yeah, so I do, I would recommend, uh, to buy his uh, apologetics thing called uh, "How to Answer the Fool," um, it's about like an hour, hour and a half, and it's it's pretty good for a simple overview of precept um, and kind of how it looks when it's used uh, in the context of uh, you know talking with non-believers. So, gotcha. Yeah. So preferred methods. So there's kind of an overview. Classical. I'll try and do a little bit of research here while you guys cover your preferred methods and, and still also be able to interact, but see if I can't find a little bit more on that for our listeners. So I, I know Avery, I've talked so. with you a little bit, but do you, do you have a preferred method? Um, it depends on the context of the conversation. Um, let's say I'm talking with a non-believer and they're being sincere in the questions that they ask. Um, because I do some street evangelism here and now again with a friend. Um, and if they're being sincere in the questions that they ask, um, I use evidential just to answer questions. But if somebody's really pressing hard and they're getting mad and they're just asking questions to just look for a reason not to believe, um, then I've switched the precept. Um but that I do lean more towards precept as my preferred method. Gotcha. Gotcha. What about you, Mark? Um, I, I've. I, yeah. mean, I already know, but so I and I, I mentioned this I think on a podcast before when we did our live stream when I was in town. But I very much lean, um, or am, am convinced of presuppositional apologetics as being, um, at the very least, being the most biblical. I, I see the the usage for evidential apologetics, like I've seen it done well and I've seen people communicate in that way. I understand all of the arguments. I could argue from an evidential side, but for me, um, I, I see it as being the more biblical example laid out. Like one place that people always go whenever you're talking about apologetics, um, in the context of the church, people look in acts whenever Paul is speaking, um, in Athens to the Greeks and um, I've heard I've heard R.C. Sproul in that 
debate between Bonson and Sproul. Sproul um, essentially u- tries to use that passage to defend classical apologetics. And um, Bonson essentially goes to the same passage and explains why it is more presuppositional. And so um, I'm more convinced of that other side of it. And, and what really sets presuppositional aparts, presuppositional apologetics apart, like Avery said, it focuses on epistemology. And so the attitude towards, or from a presuppositional standpoint, is that um, essentially the only way we can know anything is because of God. Everything that we know revolves around who God is, what he's laid out in the world. He is the standard of morality. He is the standard of creation. He is the standard of law. There is nothing um, apart from God. And so for anyone to argue against Christianity or against a God um, ultimately has to come to grips with the fact that the only way they know anything is because of God. And so that's why I think, I think by nature, presuppositional apologetics tends to come across as very um, abrasive at times because, I mean, the, the very genuine attitude is, regardless of what you say, like if you're going to um, assert that there is no God, but you do anything that would be considered morally good or that you would consider morally good, um, you, you come back to the question of, well, how do you know it's morally good? What is your standard? And the, there's, there's the super mm-hmm. joking, according to what standard kind of thing when it comes to <laughs> presuppositional apologetics. <laughs> but in, in the, it's become a joke because it's such a, it's a core question to, to apologetics that when someone asserts something, well, what is your standard for that? And, and presuppositional apologetics asserts that what we know as Christians, what we know as human beings, comes only from God. And so that is the presupposition that we come in with. And what Cy does, Cy Tenbrugge does more than anybody else, is he will assert to an atheist very strongly that they themselves, even in asserting any kind of statement, are acknowledging the existence of God because in order for them to assert anything, they must not acknowledge that that knowledge comes from somewhere and that knowledge is from God. And so um, it's kind of a, when I first heard of presuppositional, presupp, apologetic, I'm just going to call it precept because it's easier to say. That's um, way easier. It seemed very dizzying and confusing to me. because and, and, and it comes across, one thing that it gets accused of a lot I don't know if you hear this at all in the school you go to, Avery, but it comes. It gets accused of being circular, and um, yes, Van T- Cornelius Van Til, who really is the father of presuppositional apologetics, um, essentially state not not essentially. He blatantly states in his book um, Christian Apologetics, he makes the statement that people will accuse us of being circular, and it is. That's on purpose. Like ultimately, there has to be a source, and we will continue to come back to that source even in a circle. Um, and he goes through kind of a breakdown of how everything ultimately ends up being a circular argument in some way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. Um, so essentially, Van Til says we can concede that fact. That's fine. We're going to move on. Um, yeah. But it's it's a very interesting approach, and I think that it its focus is not on. Um, and here's why I like it. Its focus is not on proving God to people. Essentially what it states is people know God exists, and per Romans 1, people who know God exists suppress that truth. It's not that they don't know it, they choose to deny it. And so presuppositional apologetics has an approach not of we need to prove God exists to you, but it's an approach of God exists, here's why we know that you know that, repent. And so it becomes very gospel-centric. It's not focused on trying to win yeah. an argument. It's focused on trying to bring, bring people to repentance. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I tend to fall in that in that same camp of, not tend to, I fall in that same camp of preferring precept. I actually, so I used to really, throughout high school, really enjoy evidential apologetics. I thought they were the way to get people saved, that if we could use enough logic and reason, people would have to, they would have to see. Because at that point, my my hope was in people being able to see and less in God being able to save. And not that I neglected salvation was through Christ alone by any means, but still, I, I, I did not see the election occurring the way I see it now, and I didn't see all these things. And so a lot of hope for me rested on apologetics. And I remember my freshman year in college, I was a chem major, and I was debating with a fellow classmate. And I remember like bringing up 
some scripture to defend some points. And he's like, who cares? You can't bring the Bible up. That has nothing to do with this. I don't believe it. And at the time, I was taken aback. And had I known precept, I'd be like, well, you're wrong. <laughs> but um, at the time, I was taken aback. I was like, well, where do I even go with this guy? He, he doesn't believe the Bible. I don't know what to do. And and that kind of started souring evidential. And then after seeing, and I mentioned this in the live stream as well, after seeing Ken Ham and just some of the jerk moves he pulled, uh, started to care less and less for evidential apologetics and got to a point where I just didn't care for all apologetics at all. And, and thankfully now see the value in them, including evidential apologetics, see the value in them as well. But it was in a, a class that I was taking at Missouri Baptist University, not Oklahoma Baptist, but Missouri Baptist. So, you know, we're close. <laughs> <laughs> I I had to read John Frame's Apologetics to the Glory of God for extra credit because I'd skipped that class too many times because I was a stellar student like that. And so in reading it, though, I was introduced to this idea of presuppositional apologetics. And at the same time, I was reading through Preaching and Preachers by Martin Lloyd-Jones. And in that book, Lloyd-Jones says something along the lines of, I was trying to find this quote and I couldn't find it, but he says something, something along the lines of, God is not a topic to be philosophized about in an armchair with a good cigar. We don't ever get to pretend that God does not exist because he does. And Frame kind of comes from that same building block of instead of pretending, because that's what I see a lot of, of classical and evidential apologists do, is they pretend God doesn't exist, which is not what Paul did in Athens. No. But they pretend God doesn't exist and then try and, and work from there. So they try to start on like a common ground when in reality we're not on common ground. I believe he exists. You believe he doesn't. Let's acknowledge these presuppositions out of the out of the gate and let's work off of those and, and discuss off of those. And I still stand by wholeheartedly that while contextualization is good for the gospel, apologetics is a defense of the faith, not a propagation of it. And so can it be used to redeem sinners? Yes, God can do that, and he can use that, and he can bring people to salvation through apologetics. But first and foremost, it is a defense, not a propagation. And I think its intent is to help solidify the church's standing on doctrines more than win lost people over to salvation. And I've seen far too often where apologetics is used primarily as an evangelical tool, and it, these people end up falling back on the same hope of, oh, if we can just show them enough logic or enough proof, then they'll believe. Which, again, the gospel is a logical gospel, but not to someone who is bound to sin. And so I feel like we're ignoring verses that say the wisdom of, the, of God is folly to man. It's a stumbling block. And so when when we do that, we end up abusing and misusing apologetics. And I think precept does the best job of, of avoiding that pitfall by saying, we're going to admit God's real. We're going to admit this is the basis we're working off of, and we're going to go from there. And yeah. again, that's with my more rudimentary understanding and, and not to bash evidential or classical in any form or fashion. I definitely think that they have their place. I mean, it, it is clear that creation declares the glory of God. Everything points back to him. I mean, I've, I've used it before in talking with people about cancer and how, you know, this is, cancer is not the way stuff is meant to go. I remember someone asked me one time, why do you think, and that's because they knew I'd been in chemistry and more interested in the medical field. They said, why do you think cancer is becoming more and more prevalent? I'm like, well, partially I think we can just detect it a little better now. But secondly, all of creation has been in a tailspin since the fall. And it, it's just tearing apart the seams. And so we're seeing more and more of these mutations as we see the effects of sin showing more and more not that because you said you got cancer but because of sin down to the very atomic level creation has been tainted and messed up and so th there's a place for that and there's a place to bring in science and bring in these things and say hey yeah these these support scripture these support the christian faith but i think if we assume or even pretend to assume that god does not exist to find some sort of common ground we're doing a horrible injustice to god because we're acting as if he isn't when he is. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it, it makes a lot of sense. Um, if you don't mind me commenting, there was something you said that I wanted to kind of piggyback on. Um, when you were talking about the scripture, like, you know, the wis you know, the go God's wisdom is folly to man. And I think that a lot of the issue lies with that problem. I think when we... When I discuss apologetics with more of the evidential 
group, they just ignore so much scripture. And I think that that a lot of it, if we just went back to the scriptures and we kind of, you know, we did exegesis and we discussed them, I think they would have a better understanding of why we do the apologetic method that we do. And, you know, like you were talking, there's scripture about, um, you know, that the, the cross is foolish to those who are, who are perishing and, you know, that the wisdom, um, fear, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and wisdom. And then in Colossians is that all the treasures of, uh, wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ. It all, all of it belongs to him. The unbeliever does not have any right or grounds to claim truth for his. It all belongs to God. Exactly. And and so I think, you know, like you said, I think a lot of the issue is just they, they ignore a lot of scripture. And I, like Mark said, Romans 1 is a huge one um, that I get into debates and arguments with my professors over. Um, You're a bigger man than me. And so... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we usually just let those things slide. I remember trying to kind of challenge a professor once, and a couple of classmates jumped in, and he just was not having it. And so I finally was like, forget this, he's not listening, there's no point. But it was... Yeah, it was kind of sad. I'm very... Yeah, I'm very fortunate. I wouldn't if it was a bigger college. and I'm, But I'm very fortunate that a lot of professors at OBU are very personal, and they're very friendly. Yeah, we had so, that too. He just didn't want to listen. So, yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> that that does help. Um, my apologetic, yeah, it does. And like my apologetics professor, we've discussed it a million times, and we've talked about, you know, he gives his side, uh, you know, and I give mine, and we come just kind of a, to a standstill. And I asked him when regards to epistemology, I said, when push comes to shove, I said, is all you know reasoning. Um, logic, you know, et cetera, epistemology, is it circular? He's like, yes. When push comes to shove, all epistemology is circular. And so then, you know, and I'm explaining, I said, then why don't you use it? I don't understand. You have the rocket <laughs> launcher when you're <laughs> using the knife to, in a fight. Like, why not just use it? Because you're too close. Like, yeah, I, like yourself that, I like that analogy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's a good and analogy. And the, yeah. yeah. And it's just like, he's basically, I just don't he just I prefer to use one method over the other. And so I'm like, okay. And again, there's no issue with preferred methods. And I think you hit the nail right. on the head right there, Avery, with it's hidden in Christ. And so whether we're using evidential, whether we're using classical, or whether we're using presuppositional, if we are speaking with a lost person, while I have said, and I don't know if you guys agree with that, so you can maybe comment on that in a second here, that apologetics is primarily a defense and not a propagation of the faith. I don't think that it should be void of evangelism. I don't think it should be void of the gospel. Because any time we have a lost person who is entertaining what we're saying, it should not be void of the gospel. And so that's that's what it hinges on, I think, as long as we're getting back to that. And so whether we're using evidential or, or classical or presuppositional, as long as we're getting back to the gospel at the end of the day and presenting that clearly, I think they can all be done well. And that's where my issue comes in, and Mark mentioned this, is I see a lot of ev- evidential apologists, and like we mentioned, William Lane Craig <laughs> and, and Ken Ham, who tend to set the bar as low as possible in order to get people saved. When you can't lower the bar, the bar is set where it's set. Salvation is salvation, and it's confessing Christ as Lord. It's not admitting there's some sort of deity or going, well, yeah, I guess, you know, if this is real, I should believe it, because if it is, I have everything to gain and nothing to lose. And so. Those those types of arguments will really start frustrating and irritating me and irking me, because at the end of the day, the gospel is the gospel, and, and we can't alter that. Does that make sense? Do you have any comments off of that? Yeah, no, I think. No, I, oh, I, yeah, go I ahead, think, Mark. I think that's a really good way to to summarize, and I think that's why um, my I've I've become so convinced of presuppositionals because while it is a defense of the faith, ultimately it is also a call to repentance. And whenever I've heard people use evidential, whenever I used to use evidential, whenever I would speak with people, um, it usually never came to that, or, or it was harder to, to get to that point. And, I mean, we've talked about William Lake Craig a couple times, so the apologetics class that I just finished at seminary um, essentially was 100% built around William Lane Craig, um, like his material. 
and it frustrated me to death because I had to, I listened to lectures, I read books by him, I, and all these different things, and and in almost every instance, whenever he was doing a Q and A or, or debating somebody or or doing a presentation at a university or writing in a book, every single time he always would come to the conclusion of. Um, the Bible is most likely true, or most probably true, or it is most probable that there yeah. is a God, or it is more probable that Jesus is who he said he was. And yeah, that really irks and it's me. Like, yep. Because it can't be most probable, it has sure, to be it, definite. Yeah, probability doesn't something. matter. Like, proclaim the truth that you believe, or don't say anything at all. And so it, it just drives me mm-hmm. up the wall when I see people who can give a good reason defense, like the evidential apologetics, like Luke. And, and you, Avery, both have brought up, like, there is benefit to it. And as someone who is, I would consider myself a presuppositional apologetics guy, um, I don't see it as the end-all, be-all to, to apologetics. I don't see it as this is the only thing that should be used and evidential is, is cursed and terrible. I see the benefit to it giving evidence for the faith, for, for showing and look examining how, especially when you get into, like, the moral argument, right? Seeing how morality... Um, points to God, I think that ties heavily into presuppositional and just apologetics in general. That's a good evidencer of, of who God is and his hand in creation. Um, but my issue always comes with, if you're not going to make a call to repentance, if you're not going to claim the gospel to be true, the message that you believe to be the ultimate truth, then you're not helping anyone or doing anything of benefit. If any, you might even be making it worse. Um, and it just it drives me up the wall when I see that over and over and over again, and people get to they can give this good reason faith, good reasoned argument, and then at the end of it, rather than calling to repentance or going, and and making that proclamation of truth, they stop, and they're just like, well, this is most likely true, but you can you can decide for yourself if my argument was logical enough. It's like no, like call people to repent and believe the gospel, show people and, and let people know that they are sinners in need of a savior. It, just, it 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 really irks me, <laughs> and it frustrates me like yeah. like I can't even explain. Yeah, and I want to kind of jump on something you said there. Um, I always thought that it was kind of interesting how, well, especially in the in the realm of evidential apologetics, and we were in our class one time. Um, we had to read a lot of books. And we were discussing a book, and maybe you'll remember what the name is because I can't at the moment. But basically, it's written. Um, I think it's just simply called "There Is No God," and it was written quite a while ago. And then the author actually became an agnostic later on, and he rewrote the book. Like you know, he covered out "There's Not" and there he put "There Is a God" or whatever. And you know, there were so many people that were rejoicing over the fact that the guy became an agnostic, and I'm like. Guys, this guy's in hell. Like, there's nothing to be happy about. There's nothing to rejoice over. He didn't repent and believe in Christ. He didn't acknowledge that the one true God exists. He just said that a God exists. Yeah. And I think, it's like you said, if there's not a call to repentance, if there's no conversion or, you know, whatever it may be, I mean, it was all in vain. And so... Yeah. So here's the question I, I just thought of, and I kind of want to get your guys' thoughts on it. Because it, I mean, it's something I've thought about before, but really not taking the time to entertain. And so that is, what do you think about the idea that apologetics is better suited for teaching believers and teaching the church? So that way they they have that evidence, they have that, that defense of their faith if they're challenged on it as opposed to being used as a method for debating with or trying to win over the lost. Like, what are you guys' thoughts on that? Yeah, I I think that it's, I see it, I see it's, um, benefit. Yeah. I'm not saying we leave, I'm not saying we leave these arguments out of our discussions with with the lost. I'm, I'm saying, Instead of seeing apologetics mainly as this, oh, we're going to have this guy come and debate, or we're going to have this guy come and speak, or we're going to have this guy come and do this, where we try and get a bunch of lost people there to hear it, or we try and get some prominent lost person to debate with, we say, hey, let's let's get the church together, let's get believers together, and analyze some of the common attacks or some of these things, and equip believers with the knowledge that backs up this faith that they've they've accepted. Yeah, no, I, I think that that's extremely valuable. Um, 
and and I I I think that one of the things that I find more um, exhorting and encouraging personally as a believer is when I see apologetics debates done between people of the faith. So when you have um, and and I again because apologetics is the defense of some kind of topic. So and sometimes we use that as just Christianity in general, but it can be a defense of doctrines within Christianity. Some of the debates that I find the most encouraging or beneficial to myself as a believer are debates between other people of the faith. So, like, for example, when you see... James White and Michael see, Brown. Yeah, James White and That's Michael Brown. Um, is it Those two guys know how to approach each other civilly, respectfully, as brothers in Christ from vastly different um, theological stances. And, and they can they can debate it, they can discuss it, they can argue it with each other, they can go back and forth and at the end of the day recognize that they are still brothers in Christ, that they are still um, going to, to move forward for the advancement of the same gospel. And I find that to be extremely encouraging um, to my own walk, to my own faith, and extremely um, informational. I, I think that seeing believers debate each other about different theological points or listening to a debate that involves a theological stance that you ne- don't necessarily agree with can be one of the most informational ways to learn about it or one of the most one of the easiest ways to actually learn about another stance because people like these guys that get up and debate usually focus on explaining themselves carefully and concisely and, and at the same time being thorough in what they're trying to say and so it, it becomes a really easy way to learn or, or develop an understanding for for a theological stance um and it becomes a way to learn how to defend yourself and how to defend your stance. Um, like, I tend to be someone who who has a very apologetic mind, and I know Avery is, and, and Luke, I think you are too. Um, oh, but I, I I have friends, and I know people who they aren't necessarily good at articulating or providing a defense in the heat of the moment or in a discussion with somebody. And so having those resources to really learn how to articulate what they believe and why, I think is an extremely beneficial thing. I think I think that sometimes that gets overlooked because, like you said, there's a huge focus on apologetics as evangelism or apologetics um, as a defense against atheism or agnosticism or Islam or Mormonism, like other other faiths outside of Christianity. And I think that sometimes the benefit within Christian Christendom itself gets lost in that. Yeah. What are your thoughts, Avery? Um, yeah, overall, it is, I would say, if your church is not doing it, if they're not teaching some sort of apologetics to their uh, to their body, I think they're doing them a, a disservice. Because um, that's part of discipling, is to equip um, fellow believers with the proper knowledge to be able to defend the faith. Um, I'll first say, is that the first priority into apologetics should be knowing your Bible mm. and just throwing yourself into it, immersing yourself, studying it. That's, I mean, cause that gives you the proper foundations and the ultimate truth and be able to, to you know, defend your faith. Um, you know, and kind of like Mark was saying with, it's good to have fellow believers, you know, come and talk about and debate stuff and, but the reason the evidential, you know, evidence is good within the realm of believers is because they have the proper foundations um, to be able to discuss and believe these things. And yeah. so, and I think uh, that gets overlooked a lot because there's there's something. This is actually another apologist I know who we come from different theological camps, but I have great respect for him and just the way he tends to handle scripture and and he brings up a lot of times the topic of of fideism or the idea within the church that knowledge is opposed to faith and i think that happens when churches fail and what you're talking about there when they fail to bring in that evidential stuff that backs up scripture and so they begin to see oh well science is all against christendom and so therefore science is bad and and wrong we understand it instead of saying no that's bad science and and science actually backs up Christianity, so yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, you know, there's that, but there's also, um, you know, when we're talking about, 
you know, knowledge and, and faith and science and uh, just kind of re going what you said that I think a lot of believers are opposed to science um, and I don't think they should be whatsoever, um, you know, because I know a lot about old earth and evolution, you know, can make and um, believers kind of, you know, a little weary, kind of make them, you know, can sometimes damage their faith. Uh, but there's such a, you know, things in science aren't so settled as the world would like you to think they are. Very exactly. Yeah. Oh yeah. And there's, so. there's some old earth guys I really respect. And there's some young earth guys I really respect. Basically, as long as you're not fat, flat earth, we're okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah. at that point, you don't even have science on your side, but yeah. Hey, I do. I do have a question okay. just for you two. Do you think that presuppositional apologetics is a reformed apologetic method? I think, by and large, the reform camp it's embraces. A, yeah, it's, it's embraced by the reformed theology much more. The reason I think that occurs, and again, this is from a not so educated opinion, just what I've seen. I think the reason that occurs, though is because the Reformed view, not not to say other views don't have a large view of God, but the Reformed view places, places such a large emphasis on who God is that I think the, the presuppositional method of coming in and saying, yeah, we're not even going to debate God. He's there. He's, as you and Mark mentioned, he's the source of all knowledge, and it is the God of the Bible. It is not some deity. It is God, Yahweh, the one who is. And I, I think that's why it tends to find more likening, likening is the wrong word, more acceptance within the reform camp is because of, of that fact. I know that's one of the things that really draws me to it. Yeah, I, I, think, I think the factor with that is, is because as reform people, we don't need to convince anybody with our apologetic. That's not our goal, right? Our, our goal is not mm-hmm. to, to win the argument or convince somebody. Our goal is to call people to repentance and fulfill what God's called us to, which is to proclaim our faith and proclaim, and proclaim truth. the truth. And we trust that at the yeah. end of that, the outcome is in God's hands, not ours. And so we don't have to come up with the most convincing argument. We have to come up with the argument that is founded and rooted and built around truth. And and we start that exactly. with the acknowledgement that God is truth and here's, here's how it changes the way we live. Here's how we know that he, he is the truth. Like, it doesn't focus on we don't need to to spend time defending that God was the creator of the universe or that um, Jesus was really who he said he was or that the Bible is a real and trustworthy, reliable document. Like, at the end of the day, that those things are true, but that's not where our focus is. And so... Um, exactly. And, and I, I very much do see that being a um, something that is easier to embrace when you have a reform attitude or a reformed perspective. Um, yeah. Definitely. Okay. Yeah. Um, yep. So I, I have a closing question. I'm going to turn this one just to you, Avery, because we're getting close to, to okay. where we're going to wrap up here. And you have the most experience in this field and we've probably seen this more than Mark and I, and we've already kind of voiced our thoughts on it too. What do you think the biggest warnings you would give to somebody who's going to pursue apologetics? What do you think some yeah. of the, the biggest dangers are that lie within the field? Yeah. Um, speaking from personal experience, this is, I discovered the rim apologetics, my biggest and first thing that comes to mind is do not let it become your God. Do not let it become your idol because when you open whatever apologetic method, you know, when you get invested in, it is like a, a flood. You're breaking the dam open for the flood waters to come out and you can get immersed and, you know, whatever it is, whether it's you're learning about the Kalam cosmological argument or you're learning about, you know, knowledge and epistemology, and you can get really distracted from the actual center and king, you know, who all of these things belong to. And I think that was really one of my problems when I first got into it, especially in college. I just got so distracted and when I was at a conference in uh, 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 New Orleans uh, Baptist uh, Theological Seminary, they do a conference every year. Um, I would urge you guys to go at least, you know, once. 
is that uh, Bob Stewart, Dr. Bob Stewart, the president, he finished with pretty much a, I wouldn't even say a talk, but a sermon on about don't let apologetics become your God. And um, it was very easy to do. Um, And I did at one point in my life and I had to step back and breathe and kind of go back and reevaluate where my focuses were. Um, And I was really neglecting Christ um, in all areas, all the other areas of my life. So, gotcha. um, very, yeah, I would say that's my biggest one. So very, very wise yeah. words there. And from a guest, I can actually call young cause Avery's younger than Mark and I, but <laughs> not by much though. Yeah. I was going to say not by much. No, no, not by much, but, but very wise words there. And that is true of any theological system. And so we see this with the cage stagers in Calvinism. Yeah. We see this with the Arminians who think that all Calvinists are the devil. We see this with baptism. We see this with communion. All of these different doctrines or things, this is a danger, whatever you just mentioned. And so I'd, I'd urge you take take his advice to heart there with whatever it is you're studying about God or, or doctrines. Because if we're not cautious, we let those things become our God and we let those things become our gospel. Yeah, it, it's, it's a tool and, that and that's serves a fatal purpose. error. And don't and don't. It's a Go tool ahead. that serves the purpose. Serves a purpose, and don't let the the tool become the purpose. Exactly, exactly. So, all right, really quick now before we wrap up, just for some fun, favorite fictional universe. So, like Lord of the Rings, Narnia, Star Wars, Halo, whatever doesn't matter. Book, okay, video d- game, define TV what series. you mean by favorite. Like. Like, is this like, world I would want to live in? What, is your, what has your favorite lore? Okay. No, not want to live in. Favorite lore, favorite just all around everything about it. So, Mark, I already know yours. Avery, go ahead and go. Man. Or if you need to think, we can get Mark's Dishonored throw out there. Yeah, let's let Mark go first because that's kind of tough. Man, I'm, I'm like thinking because, okay, yeah, I, I still have to go with Dishonored. I just, the, yeah, I man, and... and it's hard because so it's definitely not a world I want to live in, um, which is why I wanted that clarification. No, um, the answer to that is Middle Earth by far. But see, I don't even want to live there. Those orcs. My favorite like place that I want to live in. Let's go to like My Little Pony Land or something where everything's just bubble <laughs> oh, gum see, and rainbows. I'm gonna go to Middle Earth and just live in the Shire, smoke pipes and live in the Shire. That doesn't work farm. out so hot for you though. Towards the end of the third book, <laughs> we'll, we'll go after the third so. age. We'll go at the fourth age. All right, okay. so, no, okay. Dishonored, because, um, man, I just love the the depth to the lore, especially in its setting. Like, obviously the depth of something like Middle-Earth is, is almost unmatched when it comes to fictional um, anything. Um, oh, yeah, there is Tolk- Tolkien developed so much that so much. There. And, like, Star Wars had has a lot of breadth without a lot of depth, right? Like, there's a, there's a broad spectrum that doesn't always necessarily go super deep into its lore. Um, and man, Dishonored does, I think a good job of both and and it gets super, super deep for being just a video game franchise and, and the, the things that you can learn about the air, the, the characters and the, the cultures of the area and the histories of the area and the essentially deity system that it has. Like it's, it's so fascinating to me and I have so much fun just exploring exploring that world um yeah that's that's by far my favorite it's, it's to just learn about and yeah. look at and i will say as someone who played through dishonored once and didn't bother about lore or anything like that and then after having talked with you and knowing how much you loved it went back and actually took time to read notes and read books and, and discover it is fantastic and it, it definitely makes the game a hundred times better so so marks is the dishonored world uh avery i'll buy you a few more seconds here so okay. So mine quick, would have to oh, be. I, I was just going to go ahead and go with mine, unless you got yours. If okay. you got yours locked and yep. loaded, you can go. No, go ahead. Okay. After going back and, and diving back into Star Wars, I'm going to have to go with Star Wars. That not the new crap by Disney. You all know I vehemently <laughs> hate that. But the old canon of Star Wars, like I just, I love everything that's there. I love, I love the breadth of it. And so, like Mark said, there's not a whole lot of depth, but there is with some of these characters with some of the people who show up there is actually a decent bit of depth and backstory to them and why they are the way they are and why they do the way the things they do 
end. And so I just, I love digging into that universe. Like there's, I don't think there's books that I enjoy more it, by and large. Like there may be a, oh, out of this series, I like this book more than I like these Star Wars books. But by and large, I don't think there's a, a universe I enjoy more digging into and learning about than the Star Wars universe. So, and I'm really enjoying going back and, and learning about the old Republic now and still can't decide if I like or hate Revan, not the person, the book. So it was, it was good though. I, I'd recommend yeah. reading it so you can come to your own conclusions. All right, Avery, what you got? Yes. Yeah, so quickly, um, I, this is sort of don't have a favor, but I have like a progression. So my first, like, so third would be the best, I think, but first would be the halo mm-hmm. universe. Um, I think it's, like Mark said with Star Wars, not a lot of depth, a lot of, it's very broad, um, you know, it's a good, uni- cool universe, um, I like the Covenant and, you know, the Spartan program and how they all kind of intertwine all that together, um, not for big on the Forerunner stuff that's been kind of coming up, but it's, it's a nice touch to it. Second would be the Star Wars universe, um. That's supposed I think to be it, number one, Avery. That's supposed to be number one. I'm sorry, but I couldn't do it. It's just there is a lot of depth. I think but definitely a lot of it, uh, very broad. But um, I think it's a very fantastic universe that has a lot of uh, intricate details and kind of things brought into. It. Especially me going through Darth Bane, and it mm-hmm. talks about Sith sorcery, and it's like, yeah, dude, you know, the there's a lot of that Sith in Revan Lord, too. Yeah, it was like the ancient Sith lords. Um, they people that existed for like 20,000 years ago and Bane is discovering these holocrons mm-hmm. um, and I'm vasting. So now that you, you guys know, have, have actually read some knowledge. of that series oh, yeah. you can agree with which, me on Bane being Which book the best, are you right? on, Avery? Hang on. Which book are you on, Avery? I'm on two. I'm on... I'm on I have like three hours left of uh, The Rule of Two. Okay. So I, I am have about four hours left in The Path of Darkness. I almost just spoiled something but decided not to. So... <laughs> That way our listeners have to go read it for themselves. So good. But yeah. No, Mark, I cannot agree with you until I finish the Bane Trilogy oh, after reading Revan. That's fine, but... Like, oh I'll, I'll have goodness. to finish the Bane Trilogy off first to make a verdict on that. And apparently I need to go read Sh- Shatterpoint, Shatterpoint yeah. according to Malcolm Shatter- Holmeyer. Shatterpoint's So good. I will do yeah, that yeah. as well. I will do that as and well. And my last one, and this is because, like, the game gave me, like, hairs on the back of my neck, was the Mass Effect okay. uh, story. Gotcha. And I think, like, when you first come in contact with Sovereign, and he explains, like, the whole Harvest thing, and it's been happening for, like, billions and billions of years, and this is one more, you know, I just, I don't know. I like the ancient dark machine kind of aspect, and, like, it's very doomy and gloomy, and there's, like, not a lot of hope into it. And so, I think it has a a nice, a lot of depth. I say more than Star Wars at some point. So, gotcha. Um, I've never played a Mass Effect game, so yeah, I can't Mass, comment Mass on Effect that. And Halo Maybe I need to really now. Awesome developed worlds. They're they're really interesting lore in both of those for sure. I can see that. All right, there we go. There's our tidbit of nerdy, totally unrelated. Looking at the Discord right now that we all sit in while we record, and Mark's brother Jake sent us messages in at one time to play Siege with him, and I just now realized it says hop over to Scarnton. And then Scranton. <laughs> he could not spell Scranton for the life of him. So shout out to you there, Jake, for your terrible attempt to I spell Scranton. I figured Scarnton was just a so, reference to Michael Scarn, but no, I don't was. think no because he tried to correct it and he still failed. Should have just so, left it, Jake. Anyway, should have just left it. Yeah, you should have. There we go. There's our couple yeah. shout outs for the week. Avery, thank you so much for joining us. Appreciate your input and, and again, just the wisdom that you shared yeah, with dude, apologetics there. Yeah, thank you very much for letting me come on. I appreciate it, and I hope I can contribute some, you know, something for the hearers and you guys yeah, as well. So, oh yeah, I definitely was was encouraged and edified by the conversation. And plus, you're our biggest fan, yeah. so you know you're in that title, the title when you were the only EFF one who watched the two or four podcast. Yes, yes I that do. stands for biggest freaking fan. Um, <laughs> he's the only one who watched our live stream the whole way through. So here in yeah. that title, fair and square. Yeah. Anyway, we appreciate all of you guys, though. You all have the chance to become our biggest fans if you buy us stuff <laughs> or, you know, get us on well, we TV say, or Well, we say like Avery's that, earned you know. that title. It's a very fluctuating title depending on who we're feeling um, most loved by. So It, it is. So you guys <laughs> can nice. definitely compete over that. I, I love that. the UFC, so MMA fights are an option. Jesse, I think you come out on top on that one. But 
Anyway, we appreciate you guys. Make sure you hit us up on the Facebook group at Error204Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Error204Podcast. And if you don't have either of those and want to contact us, you can do so at Gmail at Error204Podcast at gmail.com. If you like us, make sure you drop us a rate on iTunes, hit that subscribe button, and share us with your friends. We will catch you all next week. Bye. Bye. See you guys. Whatever you ruined it. (laughs) Ha, 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 ha.